So let's get into the word of God again. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three, verse 14 and 15. Now, a few weeks back, we saw a command given in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that word command being used three times. Now, we got to remember that all God's word really is his command. It's what he wants us to walk in. There are some places, though, where the word command will be used. Hey, the Lord's commanding you in these things. Usually the case in that is it's an area that we easily, you know, fudge the books in, or it's an area where, uh, you know, we're more rebellious in. So it's being reiterated, kind of an extra exhortation. And by the way, this is a command from God, a reminder. What's interesting is a few weeks back in the area we looked at the word command, and we talked about this, was used three times. That word command, remember, it is a Greek term that the military used to describe an order given from a a superior officer to an inferior officer in the military. I'm commanding you to do this. So it's not optional. If you don't do what we're telling you to do, there's going to be consequences. And remember, the command was to withdraw from the disorderly brother who refused to work, who was a loud busybody, and eating other people's bread. Now, again, the context of this was an individual who had the ability to work and the opportunity to work, yet they refused to work. And in not working, they had a lot of time on their hands. They began to meddle in other people's private matters. You know, they know everything that's going on because they're just sitting around and whatnot. Uh, They were bringing a lot of attention to themselves in that. And then they were eating other people's food that they actually worked for. And very problematic because they were putting an undue burden on those that were working. They also didn't have anything in their own hand from working that they could help people who couldn't work with. Part of the reason we work is to help people who have an actual genuine need. And so the exhortation was giving these people are disorderly. They need to be corrected. And if they don't want to be corrected... You, you know what, are being commanded to withdraw and not to feed them anymore because hunger is a great motivation to go out and work. And we talked about how God has created us to work and so forth, doing our work unto the Lord. Now, this morning, and we'll talk about what was in the middle of this that we talked about last week as we go through this, but today we see that command, that specific command really being expanded to any brother who refuses, any sister who refuses to obey and acknowledge the words of this epistle. We're going to see the words of this epistle of scripture, and this is an application to all of scripture. So anyone, again, not just with that command to work and to, you know what, lead a quiet life and to eat the bread of your own hand, but anyone who wants to walk in rebellion against the word of God And the call of the word of God, they're resistant to it. They're resistant to the doctrine in it. They're resistant to the practice of it. We're going to see this morning, again, that call to withdraw from them. And we're going to look at several things in this that I think are very important in in many areas of our life. First of all, we're going to see that God's not partial in this. He uses the word anyone. He doesn't say, well, these select a few, but if anyone won't listen to the word of God, you need to deal with them in this way. We're also going to talk about the great disobedience against God when we shun his word, when we have a low view of scripture, when we don't want to take God's word to heart and be yielded to it. Some people try to separate God from his word. Now, again, 
We learn of the God of the word through the word of God. Uh, you know, we don't worship the Bible. We worship God as, you know what, he reveals himself in the Bible. But at the same time, we can't separate the scripture from the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. And there's a great rebellion, again, in people that don't want to obey it, people that don't want to acknowledge it, they don't want to be yielded to it. It's not a small thing, it's a big thing. We're also going to talk about, again, this call not to keep company with such in order to bring them to true repentance. We talked a lot about that a few weeks ago, but we'll touch on it again. And then we're going to talk about biblical admonishment, because we're going to see these individuals need to be admonished, they need to be warned, they need to be talked to. I think the importance of keeping a soft heart towards these people so that again, once they do repent, that we're in a place where now we don't have to repent because we've hardened their heart against them and them not repenting. We don't want to do that. We want to do this in a right way. We want to do this again in a manner where we're looking to ourselves as we stumble in their rebellion and trying to address that rebellion. So let's read verses 14 through 15. I think we got this set up and we'll just start down through it. It says, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now notice here the word. He says, if anyone. He doesn't say if anyone in this group or any Jew or any Gentile or any male, or hey, this is just about the women, any female. Guys can do whatever they want, but if there's any female, he says anyone. It's a word that shows no partiality. And the Bible is full of these words from cover to cover. Words like whoever, whosoever, any, anyone, all, and so forth. Aren't you glad that our God does not show partiality? Listen, I rejoice when I come to verses like John three sixteen, where it says that Uh, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Don't you rejoice in that whosoever? It means anybody, anyone that would humble their heart, acknowledge their sin, call upon Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. I believe in you. I believe you are sin. I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the grave. And I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. I'm turning from my own lordship. I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. That whoever would humble their heart and call on their name, they're going to inherit eternal life. They're not going to be subjected to the second death. They're no longer under condemnation. Jesus goes on to talk about that in that passage. That he who doesn't believe is condemned. He who does believe is no longer condemned because they are taking the the price that Jesus paid for our sins and receiving it and putting their faith in him. I love that. I love the fact that I can preach the gospel and indeed put that invitation out to all. And the Lord is ready to forgive all and receive all. He has no partiality. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. We also, though, need to know that God is not partial when, he come, when it comes to his judgments. Just in the same way that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, whoever doesn't is under condemnation. And us as Christians, yes, we are no longer going to be subject to that white throne judgment, which is these individuals that shun Christ and they die in their sins but we will be subjected to what's called the Bema Seat Judgment and the Bema Seat Judgment in that day that the New Testament was written was the judgment that was at the Olympics 
and people would come forth and get, you know, a medal or a prize based on their performance in the Olympics. That's why the Bible oftentimes will use sports as an illustration. Run, your, run the race, you know, in a manner uh, to win. Paul talks about buffeting his body daily like a boxer. Bible talks about wrestling and so forth. It's that idea being put forth that, yes, listen, I'm on the team. I'm washed, I'm forgiven, positionally I'm right with God Almighty through the work of the cross, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but I am going to give an account of my life now as a follower of Jesus. And again, we talk about this so often, and it's important, it comes up over and over again in Scripture, that again, His grace saves me, but it also again is there as an empowering agent to help me now walk in with God has for me because through grace i've received the holy spirit through grace i'm in fellowship with christ through again his grace now i can open the word and get into it and have more of an understanding that can be built on line upon line precept upon precept and that judgment that we're going to get as christians at that bema seat judgment is going to be without partiality we got to know this First of all, we got to take this to heart about ourselves. All of this, we got to take it to heart about ourselves. First Peter 1 Peter 1.17, it says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So this is, again, addressing believers. They've called on the Father. They have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to be judged by him. And he's going to judge without partiality. I think oftentimes we can be guilty to think, well, there's an exception for me because, you know what, God sees my circumstance a little bit different. And I'm special, so, you know what, the judgment's going to be different to me versus these other people. Have you ever been guilty of that? I think at times we can be, giving ourselves a pass. Sometimes we're too hard on ourselves, but other times it's a thing where, we're too loosey-goosey with us. We can be quick to make a judgment on someone else. Oh boy, you know, they're, they're going to give an account for that. Well, what about our own self? This is why this is being written because we can fall into this trap. And he says here, listen, in your stay here, and it's just a stay. Listen, this isn't our permanent residence. I, I'm, I'm actually very thankful for that. That we have a new heaven and a new earth and Praise God for today. Listen, this isn't some, you know what, schlep rocky Eeyore. Oh boy, you know, we're just here. Hey, the Lord's good. And this is the day he has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. But I'm glad I'm passing through. I'm glad that Jesus' kingdom is not going to be tainted by man's rebellion that's brought war and abuse and death and all these things. The sin's not going to enter into the kingdom of God. And our time here is just to stay. But he says, in that time, conduct yourself with the fear of God, with a reverence to God, knowing that I'm going to give an account for my life, not thinking, well, you know, God, yeah, I can take my gift and I can bury it, and he's not going to say to me, you're a wicked and lazy servant and take that talent and give it to someone else. No, that's not going to happen to me because, you know, my circumstance and this and I'm, I'm special. And listen, you are special today. You're very, very, is Jesus your Lord? You, you are very, very special. The word elect, it means you're God's favorite. And you're like, well, how can I be fav- his favorite? And he's his favorite and she's his favorite. 
because we're talking about God here. But don't take that and abuse that. Don't think, well, you know, again, well, my upbringing, my thing, the things I had to deal with, I got dealt this hand, so it's going to be different towards me. He says, conduct yourself here with fear during your stay, because God's going to judge without partiality. And again, if anyone does not obey the words of this epistle, and sometimes we can say, well, they're not obeying those words of the epistle of the word of God, and so, yeah, that's problematic, but it's okay for me not to obey the, the words or to have a low view of God's word because my circumstance is a little bit different. Have you ever done that? Are you currently doing that? Well, yeah, you know what, fornication's wrong, but I love my girlfriend, so it's okay for us to shack up and have the appearance of evil even if you're not fornicating or you're fornicating and it's like, you know what, for us it's a little bit different. It's not. It's not different at all for any of us. In any of these sayings, God doesn't show partiality. God's no respecter of persons. We see this throughout the word of God, whether it's Jesus giving the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, where the people showed partiality to the rich man, not to Lazarus, but God judged them not based on their wealth and their popularity, but on their faith. You see this with Peter when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles there in Acts 10. And he says, wow, now I see there's no partiality with God. God doesn't love the Jews more than the Gentiles. He loves the Gentiles enough to separate Israel for them to himself, to bring forth the Messiah, to bless what? All the families of the earth. He doesn't show partiality. Listen, God's not respect with any person's position, power, or personality. You know why? Because he gave it to that person in the first place. Listen, if you, if you, if you, you know, let's just say you're a multi-millionaire, billionaire, whatever, whatever it is, and in the generosity of your heart, you give someone a million dollars, are you going to step back and you're saying, man, I'm impressed with that million dollars. Wow, you impress, you have a million dollars? You impress me so much. No, you just gave them that money. Listen, we looked at this verse many times, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, who makes you differ from another? Who makes you different? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if indeed, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So again, what makes you different? This is God that gave you these things. So you think God's going to show you partiality because he's put you in a place of popularity or this, you know what, spectacular personality where people you know you're you know oh that's a he, he's a people magnet or a person magnet well you ever hear that you know people are just drawn to them you know some people just have those personality traits or whatever and it's easy to again to start showing partiality to these people not with god listen he, he's not impressed with it so he doesn't show it we're called not to show it either again jesus gave the parable of lazarus and the rich man in james chapter 2 James talks about not holding our faith in partiality. He says if two guys come in and one's wealthy and so forth and the other guy comes in that is poor and if you show partiality to the rich man and you ignore the poor man, he says in verse four of James two, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And the evil thought is number one, Boy, we're real impressed with this person with all they have. And you know what? The, 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 the way they're groomed and the way they're sued. And again, they smile and it goes, ting. 
God gave all those things. Why are you impressed with that? God, God's the one you should be impressed with. And then, of course, we know what goes with it as well is, well, this poor man doesn't have anything to offer, but maybe we can get something from this guy. So let's roll out the red carpet. And we're going to take three offerings on that Sunday because we're hoping, you know, we're going we're gonna to get something from him again. A judge with an evil thought, showing partiality to someone because they have wealth and you're trying to gain from them. Again, as in, as in, in mankind, we have a, we, we, this is a trap we can fall in, but Jesus never did. Listen, Jesus was never, ever a respecter of persons when he was here on earth in his ministry. It's easy, though, to fall into a place where if someone has more influence in a local community or congregation, a bigger name in Christianum, a bigger following, whatever, to give leeway to those in rebellion and heretics and false teachers because they have this kind of pomp and circumstance, uh, you know, and people are impressed. Never with the Lord. In fact, these individuals that, uh, you know, meet that description in the Lord's day were the Pharisees. They were supposed to represent the Lord, but most of them didn't. Most of them, it was about them. It was about looting people of money, a false gospel saying, hey, to be right with God, you got to be like us. And this is what the Lord said about them in Luke 16, 14. It says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. I mean, these guys got some nerve. They're, they're rebuking Jesus. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. And hear what the Lord said. For what is highly esteemed amongst men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, we need to be careful in that. Just because something's highly esteemed amongst men doesn't mean it's highly esteemed by God. And it's a trap to fall into to think just because the mob says this is good, that God's going to show the mob partiality. In fact, we see the opposite in Scripture. Listen, there's so many verses that talk about in the last days, which actually started when Jesus ascended to heaven. The Bible talks about in the last days, a mass move of rebellion against God and his word, not only in the world, but also in Christianum. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 10, and then many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. 2 Peter 2, 1, it says, but there will be also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And then notice verse two, it's horrible. And many will follow the destructive works because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. So they're blaspheming the way of the truth. They don't honor God's word. It fits in with our passage. They don't obey the word of God. But because they speak words of covetousness and tell people what they want to hear, they have this big following. And people think because it's a big following, God's going to be partial to the judgment of it. And he isn't. He doesn't judge that way. He's impartial in that. And in these times and environments, listen, the mindset soon becomes, even though God's word doesn't endorse the rebellion, it must be okay because the majority is going along with it. And as you open the scriptures, generally the majority is wrong. How many people were on the ark? 
eight. The majority was wrong. How many cried out, crucify him? The majority, they were wrong. Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and the majority or many will go through it. And then he even said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? So listen, in this area where the Lord doesn't show partiality, we want to start with ourselves, amen? Am I showing partiality to myself? And boy, that's, that's really probably the, the most important thing here. We, we got to get our hearts right with the Lord if we want to minister to anyone else. If, if we're going to go admonish someone else, we'll talk in a minute here. We better admonish ourselves first. Listen, your soul's very important. That beam of seat judgment is, might not seem important to you today, but listen, when that day comes, and that day is coming, do you, do you know that? Can we say amen to that? It's going to be very important on that day. And then from there, we want to make sure that we're not showing partiality in any of these areas. We want to make sure that, again, we don't show partiality based on someone's popularity or position or their personality, whatever else. God doesn't, and yet so many do, based on those things and what's highly esteemed amongst men. So he says, if anyone, that's a lot out of the word anyone, right? If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle. Now the word obey, this is huge. And we need to, we need to define this. A lot of people don't know the definition of obey today. Have you, have, do you see there's a lot of people, they disobey. They, they don't want to obey anything. But to obey, it means to hear under as a subordinate to listen to attentively, to heed or conform to a command or authority, to hearken, to be obedient to, to obey. So it's not only, listen, it's not only doing what was, what you're told to do, but it's doing it willingly. It's saying, I am willfully under this authority. I want to hear it. I want to heed it. I'm not resisting to it. I'm yielded to it. So when he says anyone who does not obey the word of this epistle, he's talking not only about those that, again, aren't doing what's being told or at least making an effort in that, but also those that wouldn't even want to acknowledge the word of God. That's a disobedience too. Sometimes there's people doing what they're supposed to be doing, but their heart's not in that and they're resisting what's being told. Obedience is being yielded to the word of truth, the teaching in it, and the practice in it. And again, this isn't talking about the person that acknowledges the word of God and now they're trying to apply it and struggle in it. And you're like, hey man, you're not doing this. You're like, well, I'm trying, but we're called to help one another. Now that's part of the church. This is talking about these people that, again, put their heels in the sand, they're resisting truth. They're saying, well, it doesn't apply to me. I got a different, God told me this. The Bible says this, but God told me something else. You know what? They're not wanting to walk in truth. That's what this is talking about here. These that are in rebellion. And so he says, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, if you read 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about how Paul's words are scripture. And he talks about how those that are unlearned, they distort Paul's epistles, and they also distort the rest of the scriptures. And as we open up the rest of the scriptures, we see throughout it that we're called to obey all of the scriptures. Not just Paul's epistle here to those in Thessalonica, but all the word. 1 Peter 4, 17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? In other words, there's going to be a worse judgment for those who don't obey the gospel. We're of the house of God. We are called to obey the gospel. We know in 
2 Timothy 4.2, it says to preach the word. It doesn't say preach your opinion, preach man's ideas, preach the latest wind, you know, of doctrine blowing through. Doesn't say preach your truth because you've got your truth and they got their truth. No, we are called to preach the word, to uphold the scriptures. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 8 says, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. And the context here was a command being given to abstain from sexual immorality. And he says, listen, if you reject this command, you're not rejecting man. You're not rejecting the pastor or elder or Bible study leader who's presenting this rightly dividing the word of God. You're rejecting God. If you're rejecting God's word, if you're rejecting the scripture, if you're trying to twist it, manipulate it, do whatever else to it to appease your own conscience, you're not rejecting men, you're rejecting the Lord. Do you know it's a package deal? To say Jesus is my Lord, but I want nothing to do with his word, it's a denying that he's your Lord. Well, he's my Lord, but I don't do anything he says, I do what I want to do. You better check yourself because you're your own Lord. You're doing what's right in your own eyes. Why well, need to do what's right in your own eyes? Now, if you're saying, yeah, he's my Lord, I acknowledge his word, and I want to follow him, I'm struggling in it, though. Completely different thing. Because you're saying, yes, Lord, I acknowledge this. I, I, I want your help. And again, that's called ministering to each other and growing and so forth. But there's a lot of people today that say, well, I love Jesus, but boy, that Bible, uh-uh. I shared this before, but years ago, you know, there was a pastor. It's when we disaffiliated from Calvary Chapel. We didn't like the direction it was going in. And boy, you talk about an implosion. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many issues with that, that group. Not, not with all those pastors and churches, but man, just a lot of, a lot of ugliness. And um, one of these pastors called me to rebuke me for us just saying, hey, this is our convictions. We're not judging anyone's heart in this but we're going to follow what the lord's putting on our hearts we want to be obedient to that and he said well you know what pharisees preach the bible because we put scriptures behind everything we did we preach jesus like that was my rebuke and it's like wait a minute pharisees actually didn't teach the bible they taught their own opinions and traditions so i think you need to go back and read the bible and secondly, you can't preach Jesus unless you're preaching the Bible. Because if you're not opening the scriptures to preach Jesus, you're preaching your own Jesus, not the Jesus of scripture. Very problematic. We have a call to obey and uphold and stand in the word of truth. Do you know Psalm 38.2 tells us that God magnifies his word above his own name? So God holds his word up above his own person, his own name. And then there's someone here saying, yeah, Jesus is my Lord, but I don't acknowledge his word. When God says, well, I acknowledge it above my own name. You got to get a reality check. That's lip service before your God. You're your own Lord if that's the case. You don't want to be yielded to the word of truth or acknowledge it as God's authority. And yet so many people are in that place today and it's being promoted so much today. It's a Laodicean atmosphere where man's opinion has been mixed with God's word and what's come out is lukewarm. The Lord says, I'm gonna vomit that out of my mouth. 
First Peter 1.25, the word of the Lord endures forever. So, you know, to all those that despise it, sorry, it's going to endure forever and ever and ever and ever. Proverbs 8, 7 through 9 talks about how it is all truth. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, it's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We're all going to give an account to it. God's not going to judge you based on your opinion. Well, this was my thought. Okay, well, I'm going to grade by the curve. No, his word is the standard. And then notice 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Don't you think things that are profitable? I do. You don't need to be shy. You don't need to be ashamed of that. We like things that are profitable for our enrichment and for our good. At least you should. If you don't, then you need to work that out. It's profitable for doctrine. So for what you believe and what you teach, the scripture says pay attention to your doctrine. In doing so, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. So God's word is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Sometimes we need to be corrected, amen? For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. These are good things. Why would we want to resist what God has for us for good we also need to know in this listen when we don't hold god's word in high esteem when we want to willfully disobey it make provision for sin it's going to hinder and grieve our fellowship with him jesus said in john eight thirty one, if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed so if you want to say listen i don't obey the word i don't acknowledge the word i pick and choose what i want out of the word but i'm a disciple of jesus that's not what jesus said he said, if you don't want to abide in the word, you're not my disciple indeed. If you do, you're my disciple indeed. Listen, a disciple in that day is one that followed a teacher, a rabbi. And they were with them. They learned from them. They heard. They applied what was being taught to them. And that's lip service. They say, well, that's, that's my, uh, my rabbi over there, but I don't listen to anything he says. Now, I know nowadays we are living delusions and, and people just come up with all kinds of crazy nonsense and say, you got to believe it. I, I refuse to do that. I'm a rebel in that manner. I, I want to deal in truths, not in all this nonsense. And Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciple. Again, a lot of people say, well, I love Jesus. But again, his word, I don't obey that. I don't acknowledge that. I don't want to stand in that. Well, Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our own home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Oh, I love Jesus. But again, the word of God, but I love. No. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to acknowledge the scriptures. You're going to obey it in the sense of being subjected to it. When you're not subjected to it and you have an issue, you're not going to rebel against them. You're going to say, Lord, I believe your word. Help me in this. And the Lord wants to, which is beautiful. The Lord knows we're but dust. He knows we're a work in progress. It even goes deeper than that because if you don't want to honor the word, you don't want to acknowledge it, you want to sit in judgment of the word versus the word judging you, you're practicing a form of witchcraft. Galatians 3.1, O oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Remember when King Saul rebelled? He said that you're, you know what, 
in rebellion and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You don't want to be yielded to God's heart and mind. You want to do your own thing. See, witchcraft really, it, 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 the heart of it, part of the heart of it is saying, I don't want to be yielded to God and his word. I want to imagine my own world. I'm going to imagine what I want, and then I'm going to use whatever means to bring it about. That, that's witchcraft. That's why when I say the word of faith movement is witchcraft. Because it's these money preachers not saying, let's stand on the word of God. They're saying, listen, you can imagine what you want. You speak it forward and you put faith in your words to create it. It's utter witchcraft. If you really understand that craft and what it is, it's rebellion against God. Not, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. He'll put the desire of my heart on me. Then he'll bring that about. But it's, I'll imagine what I want. I'm going to put faith in my words. Faith in your words are powerless in that sense. That's deifying yourself. Faith in my words and I'm going to create what I want. It's utter witchcraft is what it is. And sadly, it's come into the body of Christ like a freight train. This stuff used to be in the corner somewhere. Now it's up in mainstream Christendom. That's why you get the Global Leadership Summit and two of the main speakers, two if not three out of the three pastors are all word of faith. If you're not rich, you're in sin. If you're sick, you're in sin. Follow my formula. Put faith in your words and create your future. That's witchcraft is what it is. We're called to be yielded to the word of God, not our own imaginations and what we want to come about. And praise God, listen, thank you, Lord, for protecting me because if I got everything I wanted, it would be an ugly mess. I'm an idiot. You're God. You know better. Oh, we desperately need his help in these things. Listen, this willful disobedience as well, it grossly hinders and hurts fellowship with one another. 1 John 5, 7, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we say, yes, let's acknowledge the word together. Let's walk in the word together. That's true unity. There's a lot of this called unity day that's not unity at all. Well, we're going to unify whatever, you know, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to believe. Let's just all get together and, you know, in the name of Jesus. You're not unified. Yeah, you're unified. The problem is, is you've left Jesus out of the circle over here because you're not acknowledging his word as the final authority. Uh, they did that before on the plain of Shinar. Nimrod led it, and they built a tower to heaven, and God said, I'm going to go down and wreck this thing. And if you haven't read Revelation, it's happening again. But I think the tower is more modern technology and information, and the world's become one again in this rebellion. So again, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, and I wanted to spend a lot of time on that, talk about the authority of God's word. This isn't a light thing. It's a big thing. He says, note that person. Now, to note that person means to distinguish, to mark for avoidance. It's based on this pattern of rebellion and, and disobedience. It's not, oh boy, did you see what they did? Listen, if we want to examine each other's life, we're going to see shortcomings, right? This is a pattern of willful disobedience, willful rebellion, making provision for it, so on and so forth. He says you need to distinguish them from someone that is yielded to the word, a real disciple, walking as a disciple, 
and mark them again for avoidance. I talked about the apricot tree in my yard a lot of times and you know at the the fruit and all that a lot of cool illustrations you get from that. One thing I've never talked about though is the tree like grows at this weird angle and this happens to me about once a year mowing the lawn. Um, I'm listening to a podcast or something a chewing gum and I forget it's there and I hit my head on it. It's embarrassing you look you know you get up did anyone see that? It hurts. One thing I always do though is I take note of it. I mark it. And I go, you idiot, don't do that again. That hurt. And the next week, I, I always remember, I've never hit two times in a row. I start coming to, and I dip down, and I go under, then I come back up. And it's the same thing here. Listen, if you don't want to take note, if you don't want to mark for avoidance, it's going to be like hitting your head on the tree. It's not going to be profitable for you, for them, or for anyone else. Romans in chapter 16 talks about this. I urge you, brother, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. For those are such who do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by smooth and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. I'm amazed at how people get a following and make disciples out after themselves by just having a flattering tongue. And there's a lot of, the Bible says, simple people. They're people that really don't want to get grounded in truth that they want to follow that it's like the person's got a bag of bones and they're throwing out give you a little little flatter a little flattery a little flattery now we got to distinguish between encouraging one another with flattering tongue but there's people that get a little following and make disciples out of this is that flattering tongue and he says you need to note this when they're Life doesn't line up with the word of truth. Philippians 3.17 is the same thing, talking about noting those that don't follow that example given in Scripture. He says they're enemies of the cross. Now the word note there, it means to take aim at, to regard or to spy out. It's a call to make a judgment, biblically. Bible talks about this. 1 Corinthians 5, it's that chapter where there's this gross sin in Corinth and they're celebrating it. And he says, no, you need to repent and purge this out. For your sake and the sake of this people. But in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, he says, for what, uh, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Talking about the world. He says, I don't have any business judging the world. You know why? Are you ready for this? The world's already judged. Before you came to Christ, you were under condemnation. It's already judged. All these people, you know what, in, in the, the media, you know, that, that are in rank, gross rebellion, that mock God, they're already judged. I'm gonna judge them. They're already judged. I don't have any business judging them. Why would I judge what the supreme judge has already judged? We were judged before we came to Christ under condemnation. But he says here, what do I have to do judging those on the outside? He says, do you not judge those who are on the inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. In other words, you need to make judgments amongst yourself. And when there's rank rebellion and heresy, you got to put that away. You got to withdraw from that. You have to admonish that. Separate yourself from that. Now with this, listen, it always starts by judging ourselves first. And this is where there's a lot of problems with this. Some people are, I'm a fruit inspector. They just never judge their own fruit. You better start with your own fruit stand, so to speak, right? Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. 7, 1, the famous verse, judge not lest ye be judged. Did you read the rest of the 
text there? He's talking about an unrighteous judgment. He says, in the manner you're judged, you're going to be judged. And he says, get the stinking log out of your own eye. I had the stinking. <laughs> then you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. Judge yourself first. And then the next thing he says, don't give what's holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before swine lest they turn and trample you. How do I know who the dogs and swine are? Uh, Got to make a judgment. But it starts by judging myself. Am I obedient to God's word? Am I yield to the scripture? Am I judging myself without partiality? Or do I fudge the books for me and do what I want? But I'm going to run and drown and judge everyone else. That's a dangerous place to be in. We also always need to judge with all the facts. Do I really know what I'm talking about here? Over the years as a pastor, I've counseled hundreds and hundreds of people. A lot of times it's counsel about someone that has an issue with someone else. They're disobedient. They're sinning against God. They're doing these things. And they plead their side. And sometimes you're like, wow, man, that's quite a presentation. But oh, I've, I've, I've gotten more wise as the years have gone by. At least I hope I have. Because I'll just call people out. I'm like, well, that's your side. The other person's not here. Sometimes that angers certain people. But the scripture says the first to plead their case seems right until their neighbor comes and examines them. And you get the other side of the story. And yet there's a lot of people, again, they just hear one side or see one thing. They don't know the whole picture and they run around and start making these judgments versus, you know, it's saying, I don't really know all what's going on here. And until there's more revealed, I either just got to step back or... Perhaps it's an area that I need to go ask questions without being a busybody in it. But do we know all the facts? Do we all know what's going on? It's easy with these things to fall in that place of being a busybody, a gossip, or whatever else. We also need to judge with a heart of love. He gets into this in verse 15. Don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Listen, this isn't a judgment to, you know what, make ourselves be self-righteous or keep a record of wrongs. But it's to be done in love to want to bring correction to the situation for the sake of that person and the glory of God. Not to get the satisfaction of going, I told them off in Jesus' name. Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. These are things that have to be practiced. Listen, these are things that have to be practiced by a church leadership, by pastors, by elders. And these are things that, again, the Bible talks about these things being an ongoing issue in any local fellowship. And they got to be addressed. They got to be dealt with. A lot of places, these things aren't addressed. They aren't dealt with. This is a foreign concept to a lot of Christianism today. So with these things, and then we'll close with the last few points here. But to stop right here, let me ask you, do you take note of anyone or do you gloss over everything for the sake of false unity or just saying, oh, I don't want to do that? You might be the one God's calling to say something. Again, after first judging yourself, making sure that heart's in the right place, making sure you're not jumping the gun. Are you one that only takes note of those who take note and say something? <laughs> it's amazing how in Jeremiah's day, no one had any issues with the false prophets, but Jeremiah said, these guys are prophesying to you falsely. Boy, and everyone took note of him. 
You're the troublemaker. You're going against the mob. What's your issue here? I'm amazed at how partiality is so often shown of, you know what, people leading these rebellions against God with a mass following and someone saying, listen, this is wrong. And yet in you saying that, you're judge, but you're wrong to judge what they're putting forth. Again, it's that partiality. People do it all the time. Well, you're just a no-name over here. This person's got this big following. You can't judge them, but I, I can judge you. You're nothing. You're like that poor man that just came in. This is like that rich guy over there. God doesn't play that. One thing I'm thankful for in my upbringing is I was taught not to be a respecter of persons. You just, and, and we didn't have a lot, but you look someone in the eye and you, you, you know what? All that is is a suit or whatever else. I mean, you need to give honor where honor's due, but not to bend knee because all the, all the falling, whatever. It was done out of rebellion, you know. It was done out of, you know what? We're shy, please. But there's some truth in that too. I mean, God is able to redeem things, isn't he? We also need to make sure that we don't take note based on our own thinking, but God's word. And this, and this is a huge thing. And this postmodern thinking, people have been conditioned that their truth is their truth and their truth is valid. And if your truth's not God's truth, your truth is not valid. It's not truth at all. A couple years back, my wife was on Facebook. And this gal that she knew that always seemed to be a Christian who loved the Lord, I don't, I don't know this lady's heart. She put this big post up of Oprah Winfrey and this new spirituality and all roads leading to God and this meditation to find your, this is utter nonsense. This is a bunch of gobbledygook is what it was. And there were several people saying amen and this and that. And then one gal went on there and she put a really just gentle correction and a very just kind way, but it was real clear. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just, just, hey, you know what? You need to consider this. And Shannon clicked a like on that out of wanting to say, yeah, consider this. In five minutes, she was defriended. In five minutes, the lady withdrew. I'm taking note of you because you don't adhere to my false teaching. Let's make sure that's not us, that we don't set up our own standard. And if you don't agree with me, I'll take note of you. We better take note of ourselves and make sure that we're under his authority, amen? Now, he says next, and we'll try to get through all this here in about 10 minutes and finish up. He says, don't keep company with this person. Don't keep company with the one that, again, doesn't obey the word. Again, not the person struggling, not the person that acknowledged, yeah, I need help in this. You know, the Lord says forgive seven times, 70 times. But the person that resists God's word, that practices, again, rebellion, makes provision for it. Don't keep company. The word company here means to mix it up together, to associate with you don't hang out with them. You don't roll with them. You're not in their crew. They're not in your crew. You're not their sidekick, and they're not your sidekick. Why? So that they'll be ashamed. Not to shame them to look down on them, but they'll be ashamed of their sin, and they'll repent of it. Versus being emboldened in it. Versus being enabled in it. This is out of love for them. And listen, this isn't a fun thing to do. Again, if you take pleasure in this stuff, 
There's a sickness going on there. This is not fun. Also, as we talked about, to protect our own souls. 1 Corinthians 15.33, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And there's a lot of people that are deceived in this. They roll around with these people who claim the name of Christ, yet don't acknowledge the word in certain areas. And they practice gross rebellion with no regard for the scriptures. Yet they hang out. Some people are like magnets for this. I'm just amazed. Over the years, I mean, we've had to practice church discipline with some people. And there's certain people, it's like they always then pop up and they're part of the crew afterwards. God's not going to be partial in that judgment. Well, for some reason, that doesn't apply to me. I'm just going to go roll with this. Gotta go back to the word of God. You're not doing good for your own soul. You're not doing good for them. It doesn't mean you count them as an enemy. No way. Had someone come to the other day and they said, man, there's these people and they, they claim to be Christians, but all they ever do is gossip and trash everybody. And I just don't want to be part of it. And they felt like they were obligated to because being kind or whatever that they kind of had to be part. And I go, look it. They're not obligated an audience. The Bible says give honor where honor's due. I go, that's dishonorable. You just need to tell them, I'm not going to participate in this and say hi and then walk on by. And it was like the weight of the world came off this person's shoulders. Oh, thank you. I'm not obligated to it. Now again, none of this is easy. None of this is fun. The passage Two passages before, withdraw from the disorderly brother. Now he says to, again, withdraw from the one that doesn't obey the epistle. But remember what's in the middle of this we looked at last week? Verse 13 of chapter 3, do not grow weary in doing good. Isn't that interesting? Doing good. Can someone close that back door there? Doing, multitasking. Doing good is sandwiched between withdrawing. A lot of people say, well, that's not good to do that at all. But he says, Don't grow weary in doing good when before that he says withdraw from the disorderly brother. And here he says to, again, don't keep company with the person that doesn't honor the word of God. And most people say, oh, that's a bad thing to do. How dare you do that bad thing? He says this is a good thing and don't grow weary in it. And we're told not to grow weary in it. You know why? It's easy to grow weary in doing this. Because there's a lot of people when you admonish them, they don't receive it. And not only do they not receive it, they turn and they slander you. And they'll go on a, you know, on a a terror in doing it to justify themselves because they've been convicted. So now I'm going to slander you to plead my case and to ease my own conscience. And this is where we got to go back to the word where Jesus says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. He says, be glad, great is your reward in heaven. And hopefully those steps have been made right so you're being slandered for what you did for the Lord's name's sake and not your own. (laughs) Because there's a difference in that. It's also easy to grow weary in doing this is because, listen, we're in a warfare and the enemy's gonna pound your soul. You wanna stand for truth? Again, it starts with ourselves, amen? But the enemy's gonna pound you. Bible says all who desire to live live godly in Christ Jesus are gonna suffer persecution. Enemy's going to pound you. The world will. Sometimes even our own heart does. And it's not lined up with truth. Paul said this. It's, it's a fascinating 
couple verses in 2 Timothy 2.8. He says, remember the Lord Jesus, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And then he says, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Was Paul saying I'm an evildoer? No, he had been labeled an evildoer for standing for truth, for contending for the faith, for calling out false teaching, for calling people to repent. And Paul always started with himself and his own issues. We can't grow weary in doing it. Now lastly, he says here, we've already touched on it a bit, don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Again, this is why it's so important we get the log out of our own eye first. That we go with an intention or talk hoping for repentance. Anything outside of that's not good. Sometimes people take these verses and, oh, in Jesus' name, I can go tell them off. You ever tell anyone off in Jesus' name? I have. Be truthful about it. Then I had to repent in Jesus' name. I've had to go back and apologize to people and say, you know what? I don't apologize for the point of what I talked to you about, but I apologize for the way that I did it. That's not fun to do. You got to humble your heart in it. Cheat him as a brother because you're hoping they'll repent. You want to have that heart towards them that when they really repent and show the fruits of repentance, that you're ready to embrace them. You don't go, well, now I need to repent because I hardened my heart to you because you wouldn't repent. It's a mad cycle. And if someone's a genuine believer, the Lord is going to chastise them. And it's hard to walk under the chastisement of the Lord. It's a frightening thing when there's people who just excel in their sin that name the name of the Lord. Man, you gotta wonder. And only the Lord knows, is the Heavenly Father really their Father? One of the ways we know that we're his kids is that he chastises us. I say it all the time. I'm, I'm going to correct my kids. You can correct your own yourself. That's your place to discipline them. They know they're my kids because I'll discipline them and correct them. And that's how we know we're his. We need to pray for all these folks. The Bible talks about this. Pray for those who spitefully use you, persecute you. It helps your heart, and they need that. And then finally, he says, admonish them. As a brother, to admonish means to put into mind, to caution or to reprove gently and to warn. I think there's all kinds of degrees and levels in this. Listen, some people are just new to the faith and it's part of teaching them. And if they're followers of the Lord, they're gonna receive that and thank you. Other people are people that again, they deliberately shun the word. So you remind them of the scripture. And hopefully they're gonna go, yeah, you're right, man. How did I get in this place? You ever been there? How did I get here? Yeah, you're right. Admonish them. But the Bible talks about, again, coming to the point where then you withdraw. Titus 3.10, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. So you admonish him a first and second time. And then you withdraw. And then Jesus in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, gives instruction if someone sins against you. He says, go tell your fault between them one-on-one. You go to them. Listen, in all these things, you go to that person. If you don't go to them, but you just want to go talk and chat or whatever, that's sin. That's gossip is what that is. And that's, that's what most people do with this stuff. We don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. You go to them. 
He says, if, you hear, if they hear you, you gained a brother. And then it says, if they don't hear, bring one or two witnesses with you. Now, this is key in this. This is where a lot of people really falter in this. I'm going to find two people who back me up, and they don't know anything about any of it. They're just there to back me up. Come on, you know. I got the goon squad with me. It's two or three witnesses that see the same thing because you might be the only one seeing it because you're actually the one in sin in it. And are they witnesses to the whole matter or have they just got a little piece of the situation? Or do they know really what's going on? You get those witnesses because they might, if there's no witnesses, again, it might be that you need correction. And we should be open to that. There was an issue that came up the other day and I, had a, I called one of our pastors and said, hey, you know what? Give me some counsel on this because I'm too close to see it. I need, I need someone that's a little farther out to give me counsel to witness to me about really what's going on here. And then he says, if they don't receive it, you take it to the church. You take it to the church leadership to deal with it. It's not if anyone sins against you and they're in sin, you find two or three people to talk about it with, and then you go talk to everyone in the church, but you've never really taken any of the steps. Oh, but it's different for us because you know what? We're part of the whatever crew. Different for us, not different. God's not partial in those judgments. We need help in this, don't we? I mean, this stuff's tough to manage. It's difficult. There, there's a lot of times that things like this come up. And I mean, our practice here is, is, is in church leadership, what I try to practice is spend a lot of time in prayer. Be led by the Lord in it. You know, approaching it, trying to approach it the right way. Try to approach it in a biblical way. We really try to avoid things just happening. Sometimes things just unfold. But we're going to give an account for this. So I'm going to give more an account than anyone in this room. Let not many become teachers. Why? They'll incur a stricter judgment. You know who teaches most in this church? You're like you, of course. We just sat here for an hour. We're ready to go eat lunch, and you're up here still talking. Let's stand up, and we'll close in prayer. Lord God, we bless you today. We praise you. We just thank you for the word of God. Oh, Lord, help us in this. I would hope above all things, God, that, Lord, this would be a message to our own personal walk, to us, Lord, having our eyes open to the, old, the partiality we have the tendency to show ourselves to any rebellion we would have ourselves against the word of God. Lord, I, I, I want to apply that to myself, Lord. And then from here, help us with these matters with others, God. You know, Lord, this is part of the call of a Christian. We thank you that Christ is in the first part of that Christian, and we need Christ to help us. Oh, help us, Lord. If you're here today and you haven't called on the name of Christ, today's the day of salvation. Listen, we've talked about the bad news. We're under condemnation outside of Christ. The good news is that Jesus has made that way of forgiveness and salvation. And if you call on the name of the Lord, asking him to be the Lord of your life. We talked about in part what that means today. He'll meet you where you are. He'll wash you and cleanse you, call on him. Listen, we're gonna close with one last song and then I'm gonna invite any prayer counselors to come up and 
You're invited if you want to come pray with someone to come up or if you want to sit in your chair, just come up the altar. Let's respond to him today. If he's tugging on your heart, don't just bury it and go about your business, but respond to him. Let's worship him here. Feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Every fear has no place at the sound of your great name.
God bless you in the Lord Jesus Christ.